and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends. And welcome back to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I'm the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us down that road of wrestling history, sharing his personal tales and anecdotes, as well as the actual history of what was going on in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. And without any further ado, the man of the hour, the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. Uh, got my old horse saddled up here. I'm ready to ride, man. Uh, got a good one today, and uh, we've been doing some pretty good ones lately, it seems like. Yeah, and you know, we're obviously continuing on the path of 1974 Florida, and we've gotten a tremendous reaction to the last several shows, and we got to thank the fans right here at the top of the show, because the reaction has been through the roof, the numbers have been through the roof, and we really appreciate everyone listening, as well as everyone spreading the word about the Studcast, and I think everyone will really like what we have in store for them in the weeks ahead. Some really special episodes will be coming up. But we also want to mention here at the top of the show, and we'll remind you again later, the next Super Studcast, Super Studcast number 13, will be available on Tuesday, January 15th, and this is going to be a really special one. The Tennessee Stud will finally have his opportunity to tell the entire story of the devastating Knoxville Wrestling War of 1979. A lot of people have wanted to hear this. A lot of people have only heard parts of the story. This will be the one opportunity to hear the Tennessee Stud go into detail about what really happened in Knoxville in that year. And Ryan, I know a lot of people are looking forward to that, as well as looking forward to hear what you're going to have to say today about Florida in 1974. Yeah, I'm, I'm lo- really for- looking forward to that uh, Super Stud cast, uh, talking about the war, and I've never really talked about it uh, in in any depth whatsoever. And, and we're going to really dive into this one and and uh, I think uh, fans will find it really those that have listened to other wrestlers comments about this particular subject are going to be pretty, pretty well uh, uh, blown away by uh, by what I have to say about it. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then obviously, you're right. We're in 1974. It's a record year for Florida. Uh, and specifically, we're going to talk today about March and April of 1974. And we're going to briefly talk about I'm going to win the Florida Heavyweight Championship during the month of March in 1974. Uh, we'll cover that as we go along here. And, uh, and you know, you're right that lately we in the last two uh, and there was a two part stud cast about the 10 steps of how to build a championship territory. Uh, and that covers basically, in my opinion, the night, the NWA Florida territory in 1974, uh, they did everything right that it takes to make a territory explode. And, uh, it was obviously their biggest year ever at the box office. And, and, uh, I guess, uh, in my opinion, uh, those, those explanations about that two parts, uh, stud cast is, is just how they got it done there during 1974. So let's just jump right into it, Brian. I, I want to talk talent first. I mean, and talent is, it's a game changer in every sport. Um, it doesn't make any difference if it's football, basketball, hockey, baseball, wrestling. Uh, if you got great players or great wrestlers, you're going to, be in a position to win championships and to to have a real real solid business, and uh, so in 1974, 
and I kind of think that you have coach in all these other sports, but in wrestling, it's your booker and he's your coach. And he's the guy that's going to get you there. And Bill Watts is really getting it done in 1974. Uh, he starts to attract some of the best wrestlers in the history uh, to Florida. Uh, we talked to last studcast about incoming talent on, on February 1974, just to bring people up to date about what we've discussed in the last program. Uh, 1974, in the early months, January, uh, they were attracting some of the best wrestlers in history. Uh, and uh, we're going to introduce more of that talent in Florida that came to the territory in March and April. Uh, just to back up, Gary Hart arrives in February, and he's soon going to become the manager of the Axis of Evil. That's my name for them, and I think that may have been the name that they used during that time frame. Uh, that will be, they're going to be responsible, obviously, for the turn to Dusty Rhodes from heel to babyface. That event, that match, that angle will change wrestling forever in Florida, and it's going to influence a whole lot of other territories in the following years, uh, as does a young Kevin Sullivan, who's going to, will begin to put his mark on Florida. Uh, they're going to see him evolve from an innocent and likable young wrestler to an to a evil personified in the future of Florida. Uh, he really changes his personality and his style. Everything changes about Kevin. Cowboy Bill Watts going to make his first appearance in the ring, actually in the ring in February. And then one of the best junior heavyweights of all time, Tony Charles, is going to start in the month of February as well. Uh, so let's just carry it right on into March. And starting in March and April, uh, a lot more big-time stars are going to appear. The the fantastic team of the Hollywood Blondes, uh, they're going to arrive on March the 12th. Then they bring along with them the, one of the most obnoxious, uh, I, I don't know another word for it, fat, fat uh, managers of all time, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. And uh, they're going to quickly take hold of the Florida Tag Team belts, and they're going to have one of the longest championship runs in the state's history. So they're going to really have an influence on 1974 in Florida. On March 20th, I'm going to win the Florida Heavyweight Championship from Buddy Colt in Miami. I'll defend it seven times in the six weeks as champion during the months of March and April. Uh, I'm going to wrestle one time uh, against Rip Hawk, Dick Slater, Stan Vachon, and Chris Markoff uh, out of those seven seven times. And then uh, I'm going to wrestle. Give, I'm going to give Colt three chances during that two-month period to get his belt back. But I'm going to remain the champion there in Florida for four months. And this is kind of an odd fact, but it may be true. And, and probably you'd be the man that would figure this out. But in that two-year period of time, basically from 72 to 74, I'm going to win all three major Florida titles. So I'll be the Southern heavyweight champion. I'll be the Florida heavyweight champion. And my brother and I will have captured the Florida tag championship in that same period. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that may be a record. I don't know if any wrestler that's gone in there and won those three major titles in a two-year period of time, but I'm pretty proud of that fact. I'm not sure either. I'd have to look into that. Barry Rose, if you're listening, get in touch with the show. Of course, Barry being a Florida wrestling expert, but I want to take a step back real quick. Gary Hart, beyond you as the Tennessee stud, were you a fan of heel managers? A fan of them? Were you a fan of having them on the card? <laughs> Let me oh, that. yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh. And there are certain situations in which you have to have a, a, a heel manager. Uh, Mongolian Stomper is a prime example. He, he don't speak. And uh, when, when a heel doesn't speak and he can't make his own interviews, you really can't push him as far as you'd like to be able to push him. So Gary is great. And what happens here is Gary's going to put together this little axis of evil and it's going to have a pack song and it's going to have guys that can't interview. And when you have a great wrestler that's a heel and he can't talk, he's never going to be able to develop into what you want to put. You can't push him to the main event if he doesn't have that 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 gift of gab. And Gary Hart had the gift of gab. They didn't have to worry about it. These heels were all good. They had a great look, and they had a manager that could talk the talk. And uh, it was really effective for him. What was it like working with Buddy Colt and 
I've heard in the past people speculate that he may have been on the track to win the NWA title at some point if he hadn't had the plane crash. What do you think? Uh, Buddy Colt was a tremendous worker uh, from way back. Uh, he was he was working on top in the late 60s before I started in Georgia. And uh, he had Dandy Jack Crawford as his manager. Uh, did a great job. A tremendous wrestler in the ring. Great psychology. Uh, great movement in the ring. Uh, just a quality wrestler. And uh, I, I can believe that that uh, he would certainly be considered for it, and he should have been considered for it because uh, he was always a fantastic guy to work with. What other talent was coming into Florida at this time? Well, in, uh, on March 26, 1974, a rising star, and this guy is already at this point beginning to make a worldwide reputation for himself. He's going to make his first appearance in the state of Florida, and that guy is Don Morocco. Heck of a worker, man. And uh, my first opportunity to see Morocco, uh, I was very impressed from the very beginning with him. And uh, Morocco is going to do big business. It's 1974. It's going to be by the time we get to the summer of 74, this territory is going to be rocking. There's going to be such talent there. It's just truly amazing. Uh, on April 2nd uh, in Tampa, uh, Gary Hart's going to unveil his secret weapon, weapon from the Orient the flag bearer for his future's axis of evil, the 6-6 pack song from Korea. And uh, in his debut, uh, gosh almighty, I watched this match. Pack song shocks the fans of Tampa. Uh, he, he karate chops Dennis Stamp's head into a bloody mess uh, in Tampa that night. Uh, the fans were just... You know, when things are getting over in the ring, this, the crowd gets silent, especially if a heel is really getting it done. And in that match that night, Pac Song made an impression on Tampa fans, and he's going to make an impression on all of Florida before it's done. And then, you know, there's a lot going on here, Brian, that doesn't happen in a lot of other territories. Uh, and maybe the most impressive thing that's going to happen in Florida during this winter is that flock of wrestling snowbirds. We talked about this a couple of episodes ago that Watts, he's, he's going to take these snowbirds in. He's going to turn them loose uh, over the next eight weeks, uh, um, February, March, April. Uh, he through those months, he's going to really bring guys in, let them work for a little bit, get guys over, do what needs to be done to to solidify and to build toward the momentum he's going to create when he turns dusty. That you know, Florida's a winter destination for wrestlers from all over the world. You know, if you look around all over the South, when you think about the warm weather and the money in the cold winter. Those guys up north, that's what they're thinking. They go, hey, lad, I'm going to need to go to Florida and spend a couple weeks there, make me some money, get myself a tan. It's a nice place to be. But that winter in 1974, uh, it brought this to the state, the Sunshine State, this migration, and maybe the best migration in its history of snowbirds. And Watts knows how to use them, man. He really puts them in the right position. Some are going to work main events. Some of them are going to work early matches. But everybody is going to get somebody over. And they're going to add a lot of excitement to the ring and to the box office, too. So let's just look at some of these greats. Uh, Terry Funk. I mean, we're going to start off with one of the big boys right there. Uh, he's a perennial Florida star. And he's involved uh, in a match with, uh, with Watts. And uh, Dusty's going to come down and cause him to lose to Bill Watts. Uh, maybe a little tease there for what's going to happen with Dusty a few weeks down the road. Uh, but Dusty is bona fide heel at this point. Uh, and, uh, you know, when Terry comes back again, and Terry's not going to come back again until June of 1974, and he's going to find it a different damn thing there because Dusty is a huge superstar babyface then, and Terry is going to be darn sure uh, the, the ones that's going to get the booze from the fans is going to be Terry and Dusty is the monster superstar at that point. Uh, Danny Hodge, another guy that's spending a lot of time there, close personal friend of uh, fellow Oklahoman uh, Bill Watts. And, uh, you know, he's going to spend basically off and on about five weeks there. And he's, he's there to do several things, I think. Uh, he's there to support his friend. 
Bill Watts. He's there, obviously, to impress wrestling fans. And gosh almighty, Danny Hodge was an impressive guy. Uh, he's going to soak up some of that Florida sunshine, and he's going to fill his pockets with the proceeds of a growing box office every night because business is starting to boom. Uh, and uh, it was my first time seeing another guy named Billy Robinson, uh, a friend of another fellow Englishman, Tony Charles, who is the newest member of the regular crew at this point. Uh, I think they're pretty close friends, and they probably spend a lot of time, uh, Billy, hanging out with him. Uh, Billy Robinson impresses me. Uh, he gave, and you know, the fans got to look at his shooting style. Uh, he's uh, there about two weeks. Uh, and he obviously enjoyed the weather. Uh, it had a smiling face, great guy, great attitude. Uh, really impressed with Billy Robinson. Uh, Ole Anderson, uh, he's certainly no stranger to Florida. He's been there at this point, uh, many, many times. And, uh, and he's certainly not well liked by the fans. Uh, he spends about a week there this time and he make, he's making all the boys in the dressing room absolutely miserable as only Ole can do. <laughs> Cause Ole has a way about him in the dressing room where he, you know, it's almost like he's doing a heel interview, just being there, you know? So, so uh, that's his experience. Just to be in a dressing room with Oli, much less being in the ring with Oli, is is, a, is an experience. Uh, Harley, Harley comes through. He comes through for one week. Uh, he gets sunburned, which I'd never seen him sunburned. Uh, he is pretty easy for him because his skin was so white to get sunburned. And uh, and I really think he's tr- he's still trying to recover from his recent stint as a world champion before he drops the ten pounds of gold to Jack Briscoe. Uh, and Watts a smart booker. He's smart enough to realize that Harley might regain the title at some point here, and he wants to keep him coming in fairly regularly, and he wants to keep him over in the territory in case that switch happens. Wow, smart booker right there. In terms of the British guys, what was that like? I mean, you have talked in the past about Tony Charles, who would work extensively with your family going forward, but when you first see the British style of wrestling and what they were doing in the ring, what was that like, that early exposure to that for you? I really loved it. You know, I experienced some of that in Australia because they wrestled quite a bit like an English style in Australia. Uh, Tony Charles had a one remarkable move that he always used in, in almost every match. And, and it started out with doing a bridge and a guy be on top of him, he'd be doing a bridge, holding the guy up on top of him. And then, uh, the guy would, he would push the guy up into the air with his legs. And then the guy would land on his legs and he would have his back, the ropes, and he would drag Tony from the mat right straight up into the air. Tony would have his feet in the guy's hips and he would be way up over his head and he would, he would flip him from there. Wow, it was such a fantastic move. Every time I ever saw him do it, I was like, oh, I want to learn to do that, you know. I don't know if I could have done it with my legs. My legs are probably too long to do that, but I always loved that style. In fact, later on, I'm thinking we're going to talk just a little bit about a match between Billy Robinson and uh, Tony Charles. One thing we haven't talked about in a while, was the snake pit still up and running at this point? Snake pits shut down. Uh you know, I, I'm not, I've I've kind of I've, I've gone away from the snake pit in '71. They put me into West Palm, and I'm really not on top of what's going on there in the Sportatorium anymore, uh, because I live in another city. But I do believe that there's a lot less activity in the snake pit uh, in '74 than there was in '70 and '71 when I first came to Florida. Uh, it's not the same place it used to be. And and I really don't know why that happened that way, but uh, to my knowledge, it's it's really slowed down. Another two guys that show up there uh, during this snowbird influx, I call it, uh, is Andre the Giant and Frank Valois. Uh, and Valois is his interpreter, but Valois wrestles. In fact, I wrestled Frank Valois in Madison Square Garden in 1973. So he's there. Uh, he's still an interpreter for Andre. Andre's speaking better at this point than he was earlier in his career, but he's still not 
qualified to handle finishes and do what needs to be done. Frank's got to speak with him in the French language so that he understands better. Uh, and he's there for most unusual two weeks. You don't see Andre in a stretch of two weeks. Uh, I know he's in Tampa two weeks in a row, and I and I'm not sure that he's there throughout the whole territory. But I do know that he's back to back in Tampa. Very unusual to see Andre work two times in a row, uh, and that's about the only time I can ever remember that happening. Uh, and Vince Senior, I got to figure must have a must be pushing him really hard, and maybe Vince has a thought that you know I, he's he's doing Andre a favor. I'm going to send him down there to Florida and leave him there for two weeks uh, because it's winter and because it's nice down there, and Andre will like it. But you know, as as time went on with me and Andre, and I got to know Andre better. If I had been Vince, I think I would have left Andre off that second week and I'd have sent him home to spend that week resting on his farm in North Carolina. God rest his soul. What a great man Andre was. And, uh, you know, uh, he got pushed pretty hard uh, for a lot of years by Vince. Between Frank Valois and Frenchie Bernard, when you booked Andre for you in Southeastern, did you have to bring in a handler? No. By that time frame, he's, he's starting to do his own. Uh, he comes in for me, I think, the first time in 1975, and he he he's now he can speak English well enough. He can handle finishes. Uh, he's 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 he do, he needs no no interpreter. He doesn't need anybody to come with him. Uh, I'm sure Vince is happy about that. He's not buying two plane tickets now, and he's not spending all that money that he was spending before. Andre's handling his own stuff. Uh, so yeah, he's. He, he comes in 75 to Knoxville, and he is he's on his own. What other talent came in at this period of time? Oh, geez. One of the greatest workers, I think, of all time, uh, Ray Stevens. Uh, and he, and Ray, Ray worked for my father in Gulf Coast Wrestling in the 1950s. He was very young then. Uh, and he spends about a week there this time. And uh, he's going to be showcasing, obviously, uh, one of the world's best in the squared circle. He is the man, I tell you. And he'd been there the, the year before, uh, partnering with Nick Bockwinkle. And they'd spent at least a month in the winter paradise of Florida in 73. And I had the privilege and honor to work with both of those guys in 1973 many times during their, their month there. And I really, really loved that love working with those two guys it's an experience and it's a learning experience if you're a young guy that you'll never forget uh jumbo ceruta <laughs> funny name here man he comes out of nowhere he's going to be there for about a week and uh, he's young at that time and he's he's destined to be one of the best japanese wrestlers ever and I didn't get the chance to work with him in 1974, but I'm going to have the opportunity to do so on several occasions. Nine years later, I'm going to Japan, and I'm going to have Saruta across the ring for me several times. He's a spectacular guy in the ring. Going back to Ray Stevens, it's been said that he was one of the best workers, if not the best worker of the 1960s. By this point in time in the early 70s, how good was he still, and what made him so good? Well, he he took bumps. He was a bump taker, and and uh, anytime a guy takes great bumps, he's going to get over. Uh, he's not a big guy. Ray's not a big dude, but boy, boy, he could really take fabulous bumps. He's one of those guys that just had a knack for being able to figure the crowd what they wanted to see. Uh, his psychology was great. His timing was great. He was just a fantastic guy in the ring. Uh, he was. He had a great way of of talking to you in the ring, uh, that, that, uh, you know, he was like, he was like a father figure almost in the ring. You know, when he talked, uh, you, boy, you just, you, you did not want to do anything wrong when you work with a guy like Ray Stevens or Nick Bockwinkle, uh, you're because you're working with some of the finest in you and it brings out the best in young talent for darn sure. What about other talent that came in? The Alaskans, uh, the Alaskans come back through. That's Mike York and Frank Monty, and uh, they come back in uh, for about two weeks. Now, they'd been there earlier, a couple months earlier, but there's a need. Watts has a need for a second heel team because of the number of babyface tag teams that he has available in the territory. 
So I see the reason for him bringing back these two guys is because Watson and I are there now. We're starting to be a tag team. Uh, Mike and Eddie Graham are a really hot tag team there. Uh, Ed, Kevin and, and Mike Graham are almost the same size, make a fantastic team. They're starting to team those guys. So obviously the Hollywood Blondes are the top team in the territory, but the Alaskans come in there and they do just what I said earlier. They're going to put guys over. They're going to leave there and Mike and Kevin and, uh, and me and Watson, whoever gets to work with them, going to end up a little better shape when they're gone than we were when it came. Paul Duke is going to return. He's been there some with his brother Joe, but he does, he's going to come back again. Uh, he's only going to stay there for about he's a couple of shows. He doesn't even do a whole week, I don't think. Uh, now, those two guys, they don't lay in the sun, uh, but they're from Montreal, and I can darn sure tell you they appreciated the warm winter weather in, in Florida as compared to what the heck they were dealing with lifelong in Montreal. Sputnik Munro, uh, lifelong friend of mine and my brother Robert, uh, and he was a steady wrestler in my father's crews that built territories from the 50s on into the 60s. Uh, they built Gulf Coast. Uh, he was a part of that Gulf Coast uh, legendary run in the 1950s. Uh, Memphis in 1960, he was the man in Memphis. Uh, Arizona in 1963. Atlanta in 1964. He was part of Dad's crew, Mario Glento, uh, Sputnik Monroe. Uh, there's a number of guys that just traveled. They, when Dad moved, they moved with him. Uh, so he's going to come to West Palm, and uh, he's going to stay in my home for an entire week. Oh, Sputnik Monroe is a character, man. It's one of the most memorable weeks of all my years in Florida, that week with Dusty with uh, Sputnik in my house. It was just fantastic. I love Sputnik Monroe. He was obviously a much older guy here than he was in 1960 in Memphis. What was he like at this point in his career? He's he's getting older. I mean, he's, he's not taking the bumps that he used to take, uh, but he still knows how to get heat. Uh, he still knows what people want to see. He's still a pretty much wrestler in the ring. He's he's not a brawler, and he doesn't do a lot of blood. I mean, so some occasionally, but his forte is is doing a lot of wrestler heel wise. He's a great fit for Florida, and uh, he's he's always welcome. He's one of those guys that if he calls you up and you own a company and he says, uh, you know, can I come and work for a week or two? It, the answer better be yes, because you don't take him. You're losing the opportunity to have a great worker. What can you tell me about Frank Monty? I know very little about Frank. I can't remember Frank. I know I work with those guys quite a bit. Uh, and I don't remember much about Frank. Uh, I know that uh, during this time frame, the Alaskans had had a had a guy named Bunk Harris, uh, George Harris, and uh, as their manager, George Harris came from the town that I was born in, Dyersburg, Tennessee. He was trained by by uh, Herb and Roy way back in the late '40s when they were training Lester and my dad and Joe McCarthy and. Got some of the guys that are going to make to become huge names. Uh, Bunk Harris, one of the first big fat guys in wrestling, over 300 pounds back in the early 50s. Uh, good mover, uh, good good wrestler. But you know now he's older and he's a pretty decent manager too. Uh, but he's not. I don't think he's quite as big as Sir Oliver. You know he's in that same. Same rate, same size frame in a bit, but I don't think he's got Sir Oliver when it comes to being rotund and round. Uh, not quite as big as him. Do you think you could have too many heel managers in a territory? I think yes. And I think you have to be very careful about that. Now, obviously, he's not going to stay there very long. Uh, he's just coming in. They're only going to be there a couple of weeks and they're gone again. But uh, you've already got Gary and you've already got Humperdinck. Uh, they really do a great job, uh, Watts does, with the heel team of the Hollywood Blondes and the fact that they just focus entirely on tags. Uh, they never they never leave that tag team thing. I don't think they ever have a single match, those two guys, uh, Jerry Brown. They don't, they don't really ever have a, t a single match. They're just specifically a tag team, and they're there on every card. And Humperdinck is a pretty darn good manager. He's getting some heat. He's helping things. 
I did want to ask you about one guy who's in during this period of time, and he just recently passed away. Tell me about Larry Hennig. Well, I, I don't, it's the only match I ever had with Larry Hennig. Uh, big guy, uh, pretty darn talented at that point, young, uh, about like I am. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, he, he's a good mover. He had, he had real skills. Uh, uh, he, you know, I guess he, he he's probably from, uh, I assume he's up there. I always thought he came somewhere out of the AWA, somewhere yeah. up there in Ganya's territory, probably. Yeah. And a lot of those guys that come out of that Minneapolis area up there are darn good wrestlers. And uh, it's very similar what went on the AWA as to what Florida did when it was compared to wrestling, the quality of wrestlers that were there. They had a lot of them in Florida, and they had always had a lot of them in Burns territory. We will return with more of the Studcast after this word, right now. Our new Lost Territory Southeastern and Continental 5 DVD collection features more than 66 matches from the glory days of wrestling. For just $39.99 with free shipping at TNStud.com, you unlock 12-plus hours of legendary stars with Gordon Soley, the Fullers, the Armstrongs, Andre the Giant, a young Hulk Hogan, and Shawn Michaels, and many more, plus 1970s bonus matches and a present-day interview with the stud on all five dvds own your piece of the past today at tnstud.com click stud store join the stud on tuesday january 15th for the long-awaited release of the three-hour super stud cast number 13 the devastating knoxville wrestling war of 1979 at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast there you hear it once again the Lost Territory DVD, Southeastern and Continental, The Lost Territory, available right now at TNStud.com, as well as the upcoming Super Studcast, Super Studcast number 13, The Devastating Knoxville Wrestling War of 1979, available on Tuesday, January 15th, also at TNStud.com or Patreon.com slash Studcast. More information later on in the show. But Ron, let's return to Florida, 1974. You gave us an overview of the talent, but let's talk a little bit more specific, the specific matches that were happening during this period of time. Okay. Yeah, I think it, that, you know, I've, I've kind of picked some matches out here that happened during the course of uh, March and April in 1974 that kind of set the tone for what's going to happen. Uh, uh, one of them's on 3-5. It's a, it's a beard versus mask match. A strange little deal there. Uh, You've got uh, Super Texan wrestling against Joe LaDuke. Uh, Joe LaDuke doesn't have much hair. So, you know, it's it's uh, Joe's putting up his beard. And Joe loved his beard. You know, I'm great friends with Joe. And Joe really, you know, to lose his beard would have been worse than losing his hair. Uh, and obviously, Joe's going to win this match. Uh, and the Super Texan is going to turn out to be a guy named Dennis McCord at that point. But Dennis McCord is going to morph into Austin Idol. And uh, pretty darn good match there. Uh, Joe's style is a little difficult to work with sometimes for some guys. Uh, Austin, at that point, is not a real skilled wrestler in the ring. But Joe doesn't do a whole lot of wrestling either. They had a pretty darn decent match. Uh, I was really surprised to watch that match. Uh, on 3-12, on uh, March the 12th, 74 as a Southern title match, Southern Southern title versus hair. Uh, and it's dusty against Joe LaDuke. Now dusty and Joe LaDuke are working a program here that just goes on week after week after week, cage matches, lights out every type of match. And this one is for the Southern title. And, uh, obviously Joe is not putting up his hair cause he doesn't have any hair. So dusty is the champion here. And then uh, there's Joe, who's uh, putting up his belt, and Dusty's putting up his hair. Uh, needless to say, Big Dust is not going to chop that hair off, you know, especially about this time, because things are going to change and really happen for him. So uh, Dusty's going to win that match. Uh, in March, uh, 26th of March, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts is going to wrestle Terry Funk in the main event. 
And Dusty is going to get involved in this match. Uh, he's going to go down and actually cost Terry to lose. Now, a lot of things happen in this match. Watts is there. He's, he's not been there that long. Uh, he gets himself a win over a quality opponent like Terry Funk is. Uh, Dusty and Terry have been involved in this little back and forth in Florida for a long, long time. And it makes sense for Dusty to go down there and do something to cause Terry to lose, probably when he's just about to beat Watts. Uh, so, uh, and on that same night, I'm going to make my first title defense uh, of the Florida Heavyweight Championship in Tampa against uh, Stan Vachon. So, pretty decent card on the 26th there. Before Dusty would have his baby face turn, just how popular was Joe LaDuke in the territory? So many people think of him as just a heel. And of course, in Knoxville, you got to see him as a baby face, but. How popular was he at this period of time before the Dusty Rhodes turn? He was very popular. He was really over, you know, and I, it gave me, it's where I got my, my feeling for, for, for Joe. Uh, Joe LaDuke is a very, very sweet guy, just a pleasant son of a gun, just a lovable guy. And, uh, I want to get him in my territory. I, you know, he's one of the first guys I thought about when I started Southeastern. Uh, there's another one I just mentioned before, Tony Charles. Uh, you know, I see these guys on a nightly basis during 74, and I'm picking and choosing my talent right then. You know, I don't really know I'm going to be. But if I had to sit down and start making a list, I would have said I'm going to do I like Joe LaDuke and, and, uh, and Tony Charles and, uh, several others, too. There was a heck of a lot of talent there. Great, great talent. Do you think Joe LaDuke was more effective as a babyface or as a heel? He was effective as either because he had a heel look. I mean, you know, people just, it was hard for him to get over as a babyface, but it depended on his opponent. Uh, what I did with him a lot that got him really over is I had the perfect guy for Joe LaDuke, the Mongolian stomper. And wow, those two, when you put those two together, uh, you didn't have to worry about the rest of the night. The fans are going to go crazy for that one because it's going to be a, it'll be a bloodbath and it's, it's, it's going to not much wrestling in there, but it was really, really good. So, you know, but I, I, he could do both. He, he was very, very, uh, very, very knowledgeable and experienced worker. And he could, he could do whatever you needed him to do. What other matches stand out to you from this period of time? Oh, let's see now. Uh, on on April the 2nd, uh, there's a Florida, Florida title return match uh, with me and Buddy Colt. I'm defending against him for the second, second time, second or third time uh, since I've won it. And Watts is the special referee. <laughs> so, you know, and Watts is obviously my, my tag partner on a lot of nights. And now he's somehow, because what's happening here is Watts and Colt are about to mix here. And it makes sense for Watts to inject himself into this title match. And uh, I, I obviously walk out of there with the belt, probably through a DQ would be my guess. I don't remember that particular match, but uh, but I think that's probably would, what would have happened. And on that same night, I'm going to see one of the greatest matches probably I've ever seen. Uh, I'm going to see Jumbo Saruta and Danny Hodge go 30-minute Broadway. Wow. Gosh, man, that's an experience. If people can see those two type of wrestler-oriented guys, what a great match that was. What can you tell us about that match? What do you remember? Well, I remember that uh, – Saruta, Saruta really impressed me because I'd never seen Saruta before. I'm very knowledgeable about Danny. I'm going to work with Danny here as partners uh, in, in one of the matches I'm going to talk about. But uh, Saruta, he stood out. Uh, he, you know, Danny, when Danny was so, so uh, solid and, and so good at what he did, so strong that this system, the his strength is just hard to, to describe. And a lot of guys are intimidated from the very beginning to work with Hodge, but Saruta, I have to give him, give him a, you know, pat on the back. I mean, he went after Danny and Danny loved that. Uh, Danny used to wrestle a guy. And I just mentioned him a minute ago named Joe McCarthy was, trained uh, by Roy and Herb way back in the late 40s, and he went on to wrestle Hodge in, in uh, Oklahoma 
on many, many nights. And I asked Danny one time, I said, Danny, who's the, who's your favorite guy ever to work with? And he said, Joe McCarthy. I about passed out. I didn't, very few people knew Joe McCarthy, but I, I knew him cause I'd, I'd been around there and, and obviously my family helped train him. And I said, why is that? And he said, because he'd try me every night. And I said, what, how do you mean he'd try you? And he said, he'd try to beat me. He said, <laughs> he said he, I would, he'd get me in some kind of a little hole and he would crank down on me. And, and he, he would, and he said, it got to be almost a joke with us. You know, he said, at some point I knew during the match, he's going to make his move. And he said, I was already, I was always ready for him, you know, and Danny was a fabulous wrestler. Geez. So I those matches. I never got to see those two guys wrestle, but the Hodge and Saruta match, very, very memorable for me. Before you move on to the next match, I want to ask you, we hear so many things about the various feats of strength that Danny Hodge would exhibit throughout his life. And, he, you know, I guess he's still alive, so I'm not trying to insinuate that he's not. But the crushing the apples, the crushing the pliers, whatever it may be, when he would come into a territory, when he would show up at a show, was it something that the boys wanted to see? Or was it something that he didn't really do until he was out there amongst the common folk? Well, you know, I always ask him. It was such an impressive thing to to have him do the apple. And, and I never had him do the pliers until toward the end in, in Southeastern. Uh, he was there for me a lot uh, the, in Knoxville. And I would they would pitch him the apple, and he would just take that thing and just squeeze it, and the juice run down his arms and pulverize the apple. It's like, wow, how can anybody do that? Uh, and then I... Ad that got old, he'd come two or three times and he had squeezed the apple. And I asked him, what else can you do? And he said, you got any steel wire pliers? Find me some steel wire pliers. And I went to in the television studio and borrowed them from a guy that was an <laughs> engineer there or whatever. And he said, yeah, be careful with these, though. He goes, they're brand new. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know what Danny's going to do with them. I'd never seen him do that. And I brought the pliers back and gave him to Les Thatcher and put him on the set and sent Danny out there. And Danny and then Les said, you know, we hear that you can do something with the pliers. And Danny took those pliers and pow, I mean, he broke those handles out of those pliers. Hot dog. It was just unbelievable. I, there's nobody at home that watched that that could go, well, that ain't real. You know, I mean, he's, he was just amazingly strong and it was mostly in his grip. I remember the first time dad and I, I saw him wrestle and dad standing by me and we're in Atlanta and, uh, and they started to match whoever Danny's working with. I don't remember the opponent, but they locked up and they locked hands like they do in some matches. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the, the the guy just went down on his knees, and and I could tell he's 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 not work he's not working. I can tell he's hurting him. And I, I asked Dad, I said, "What's what's going on?" And he says, "Hodge is about to beat him." And I said, "Wait, wait a minute! How's he going to beat him? He's just got a hand. He's locked hands with him." And he says, "He's going to break his wrist if he wants to, man." You know, I was like, I couldn't even imagine how strong his wrists were, but uh, his his grip was just phenomenal. Uh, just a great guy too, Danny. What a wonderful guy. I want to talk about a night. I want to do a whole night here, basically. We've done kind of a couple of matches here and there. On the April 9th of 1974, this to me is a particularly good card. Uh, and it, it gives you a peek at the future of what's going to happen in 1974. It's a world title match, uh, Jack Briscoe. It's a no DQ world title match. That's pretty darn unusual to have one of those. And Jack Briscoe is going to wrestle against Dusty. Uh, he's going to beat Dusty, uh, you know, because well, Dusty's not going to beat him. Maybe later on, a few years later, Dusty can beat world champions and keep it for a week and and uh, drop it back. But you know, he's not that that point here, and Dusty's still a heel. Uh, great match, great match. But uh, you know, Jack goes over in that one. Uh, and uh, then Watts and I are wrestling in the tag match. That's the night we wrestle against Buddy Colton, Larry Henning. Uh, great tag match, super tag match. The match right before us is Don Morocco against Harley Race in the 30-minute draw. Wow. You know, I watch that match, and I'm going to the ring thinking, well, wow, man, what? that's a heck of a match. And they had to follow Pac Song, managed by Gary Hart, against Dick Slater. Not too bad a match right there either. And uh, and the opening match on that card is Kevin Sullivan against Steve Kern. 
And Steve's going to go on to be a great worker. Uh, Kevin is already pretty much there. Uh, what a card that is. And there's two more matches on that card I didn't even mention. That, to me, when you look at that type of card, you say, wow, they're, they're going to draw some money in that territory. they got to be doing good. And they were. We. what's really amazing about 1974 is as good as these cards are and as good as this talent is and as big as the crowds are, they're just, it's nothing compared to what's going to happen the next stud cast. We're going to talk about it the next stud cast, Dusty turning babyface. And uh, these big crowds we're having in, April, in March and April of 74, there's something else. But, wow, the roof is going to go off every building when Dusty turns. Before we move forward, let me ask you right now, Ron, when you're teaming up with Bill Watts uh, in this case, but when you're teaming up with the Booker, is it at all intimidating knowing that your boss, for lack of a better term, is on the apron there watching everything? And in this specific case with Bill Watts, did he ever pick things apart when you guys got back to the locker room after one of these matches? Watts, you know, a lot of people didn't get along so well with Bill. They didn't know how to take Bill. Uh, I had a great relationship with Bill. Uh, we never had a crossword. Bill didn't spend a lot of time telling me how to work. Uh, Bill had a Bill had a feeling for for what kind of worker I was, and he used me very well. And uh, and you know when we went out there, I realized I'm a young guy. I'm younger than Bill. Uh, I, you know, and I'm younger than everybody I'm wrestling against most of the time. So it's my job to give Bill the hot tag. Uh, you know, and I know that, and, and Bill knows that, and, you know, I'd be a fool to be in there like you're talking about. He's the boss, and have him expect to do the selling and give me a hot tag as a young guy. You know, I know my role, basically, when I'm working with Watts, and uh, Bill always treated me wonderfully. Never had anything bad to say about something that I did in the match, and I was always on my toes. I mean, I worked extra hard in those matches because I'm working with the boss, basically, and uh, that's a good point. This is the period of time mid-April 1974 where Andre came in, correct? Yeah, Andre's there. He's there back and forth. Uh, they're using him quite a bit. Uh, I, and I think it's because Watts really appreciates Andre's ability to put asses in the seats. And he's, he's, he's building a territory here. He's building a crew. He's working toward a goal of just exploding this business. And he needs to get these big houses in there. And when Andre shows up, it gives Bill an opportunity not just to showcase Andre, but to showcase somebody else that's going to stay. When Andre's gone, who's going to follow Andre? That's a big problem in a lot of territories. Uh, people never figured out how to, how to follow Andre. And I grasped what's going on there pretty early when I brought him into Southeastern. Andre's going to draw me a big house. I know that. But I always have something working underneath Andre's match that's going to bring him back the next week again. And I think Bill takes this same approach as a booker, and he does. He utilizes Andre to build matches below Andre. And uh, – Keeps Andre obviously in good shape. Andre always going to be in good shape. He's going to win these battle royals, and he's going to win whatever match he's in. It's hard to have somebody beat Andre. So, uh, you know, he's a different type of guy to deal with, but he gives you the opportunity to fill that house and for you to showcase everybody that's underneath him. In this period of time, who do you think's the bigger draw, Andre or the NWA champion? Andre. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess it kind of depends on the world champion, on the particular champion. But Andre is such a unique person. Uh, I mean, uh, when you go see Andre, just to watch him come out of the dressing room and walk to the ring is worth the money. You know, fans are just, uh, they're open mouthed and in awe a lot of times. They're like, wow. Look at him, you know, and uh, it's hard to get past that. And it's hard to create that type of of, uh, of pandemonium in the crowd about, wow, look at this guy. He's truly amazing. Uh, it happens sometimes, but 
you know, Andre's just, he's just a remarkable talent for wrestling. He did so much for the sport. What did he do during this period of time, Ron? Well, in, on 4-16, on April 16th, uh, he's in a battle royal. We're speaking of a battle royal, and he wins the battle royal, and I believe he wins it by throwing both of the Hollywood Blondes over at the same time to end the battle royal. He takes both the tag team champions and runs them to the edge, to the edge of the ring and just flies them right over out of it's It's over. You know, which is a great, I thought that was a pretty great finish right there. Uh, I really, because I, I was in that battle royal, and uh, I didn't make it toward the end of it. I was out of it earlier, but uh, that was a great way to end it. Uh, that same night, uh, Danny Hodge and, and I, I'm going to wrestle partners with Danny for the first time in my life. We're going to wrestle the Hollywood Blondes that night in the match before the, the uh, battle royal. And uh, that's an experience. Wrestling partners with Danny is an experience. It's just an experience being in the ring with a guy that's as, that's as popular, that's as respected and admired. And he's just a unique person in all of wrestling and uh, a treasure. He's a treasure for the sport. Uh, and, you know, anybody that's a good enough wrestler that, that's going to be, they're going to name the national amateur champion is the Danny Hodge award. They're going to get the Danny Hodge award. Yeah. You need to say no more about his credibility. He was, he was respected and admired worldwide. Plus you have to feel safe. If he's your partner, you know, no fans are going to jump in the ring and get to you. <laughs> I, you know, I felt safe even with the other guys. The other guys are happy to get me in the ring. You know, they're, they're wanting me to tag out. You know, they don't want me to tag out. They're like, Hey, let's keep this kid in here, man. Cause we don't want Danny in here too much. So uh, it's an experience being with Danny, but I really enjoyed that match. Uh, never forgot that tag match. Uh, next week on April 23rd, He's back again. This is the time frame I was talking about earlier in the program here. He, he's back again, and he's going to be a partner. He's not going to be in a battle royal. He's in a battle royal the week before, but he comes back, and he's going to be a partner with Don Morocco. And they're going to wrestle against Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson. Hey, wow. Pretty good deal right there, man. Uh, you know, that's a good way to follow Andre again. You come out of that battle royal, and now you throw him in with a pretty decent partner. Morocco's there. He's starting to really get over, and this is a great way to push him. And you're going to put Dusty out there and Ole Anderson. And, and you know, actually, Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson make a pretty darn decent team. They are really a lot alike in the way they work. And uh, that's a great match right there. Uh, uh, Joe LaDuke and, and I, Joe LaDuke and me, uh, my first time to ever wrestle partners with Joe LaDuke. Uh, we're going to wrestle against Pac Song and Tosh Togo. Uh, and this is my first opportunity to wrestle Pac Song. Uh, it's a, that's an eye-opening night. It's a really a good night for me as a young guy, man. You're in there with an old veteran like Joe LaDuke. Uh, you're going to wrestle one of the best Oriental wrestlers out there with Pac Song. And Tosh Togo is not a slouch himself. Uh, and that night... Uh, one of the opening matches, and, and I, I, I threw this one in here, was Billy Robinson against Tony Charles. Wow, wow, wow. I can't say enough about that. What a fantastic match they had. Just really, really great. And they did a lot of those moves that we talked about earlier, those English type of moves that fans didn't get an opportunity to see. And I'd never seen some of them myself. Uh, so, you know, when I when you go to a town and you're going to wrestle and you don't remember who's on the card and you get a program and you sit in the dressing room and you start looking at it and you see Billy Robinson and Tony Charles. And wow, if you don't go out there and watch that, you're not a wrestler. You, you know, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Because uh, those guys are going to do something you've never seen and you may want to try to emulate it someday and use it yourself. During this period of time, how often are you able to and how often do you watch an entire show? I don't watch usually the entire show. I mean, there are certain time frames when you have to be in the dressing room to talk business uh, and you're not going to miss you're going to miss that match. But I was in that in that mode of where I 
regularly got the program. I insisted, and sometimes I'd have to tell guys to go get me one. I'd tell a, a promoter or, or some kid that's hanging out there, hey, go get me a program. Uh, because I wanted to watch. I didn't watch all of those ma- all of the matches, but there were always, and during this time frame, at least one, sometimes two matches that I was, if I had a pin, I would have checked them off. This is my two right here, you know, and that Billy Robinson and Tony Charles, that was a definite pin right there. Wow. We're going to watch this one. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was happening. Things were just fantastic. Matches were all great. The reaction of the crowds is it's one of those things where it, we reached a point in Southeastern where it was like this, where every match is meaningful and every night, Continental was the same way. It's at it, several different points where every match you're going to get those major pops, and those people are going to leave and go home. They're going to be actually drained to where they're going to have sore throats the next day. And they've just seen it all. They've just they've they've immersed themselves in what's happening during the entire night, and. Uh, it's just a great thing to see wrestling done that way. They'll never do it that way again. It's a shame. You mentioned working against Pac Song in that tag team match. We've talked a little bit about him in the past. What was he like in the ring, and how was it working with him? Well, he's he's very similar to uh, Baba. Uh, he's he's long and lanky. He's got the big head. Uh, you know, uh, his style is a little different than Baba, but they're 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 both kind of slow that they're not my style i'm i'm trying to be a wrestler and i'm trying to make move quickly and do the pack song was the big chop that was his big deal was his chop and uh boy they got it over great in florida they you know a lot of chops led to a lot of blood and uh that really got him over uh uh, and then it's pretty much the same with baba baba's Baba's hard to work with. Baba doesn't do a whole lot of good wrestling moves. And, you know, foot to the face, there's a few things that you know you're going to get. But uh, you, it's harder to work with a Pac Song and a, and a Baba than it is a Saruta, as an example, who's a mover and, a, and, a, and gets up and down and all that stuff. But that fit my style better. As we are going through these shows from March and April of 74 in Tampa, obviously there's one more show left, the last show of April, April 30th in Tampa. Yes, uh, and this is the last one of April. Uh, this one is going to be Don Morocco, main event, and Billy Robinson against Ray Stevens and Dusty Rhodes. Oh, boy. I love that, man. Those last two names there. And, you know, and that's one of those that's on my chat. I've checked that one. You know, I'm going to watch this boy right here because I want to see Robinson work with Stevens and Rhodes, especially Stevens. I want to see what Billy Robinson and Ray Stevens are going to do. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a great match right there. Uh, Buddy Colt going to work that same night with Bill Watts. Uh, Pac Song is going to be managed, managed uh, by Gary Hart. And uh, and he's going to be working against. Joe LaDuke, a pretty decent match. Uh, Gary makes matches. Gary is a great manager. He has great timing, and he has a feel for when to do something and when to not do something, and that's so important when you're a manager and and, uh, you, you watch the great managers work. They can take a slow match and pick it up. Uh, they, they kind of like having a great referee in that ring that can somehow influence what's going to happen in there. Uh, Florida tag title that match that, that night I wrestle and defend the tag title against uh, Tosh Togo. And there's three other cards, three other matches on that card. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's just hard to overemphasize what's happening in Florida at this point. Uh, I'd never been in a territory like it. I'd never seen it before. And I may be honest with you, once Dusty makes the turn, I don't know that I've er- I will ever again be in a territory that lights up like it's going to light up and uh, just be a part of it and to see it. It helps me. It helps me greatly when I start my own company because I want to 
I want to emulate what's happening in Florida in 74. I want to get those fans so into my talent and so into my angles and so into my programs that they're just, they, they can't wait for their night when the bell's going to ring again. And uh, they're doing it in there. And I'm going to take some of that with me when I go to Southeastern and start my own company. Ray Stevens has teamed up with Dusty here. Obviously, you mentioned that Ray Stevens was a great bump taker. At this period of time, before he turned babyface, how good a bump taker was Dusty? Dusty was always a good bump taker. It really amazing for his size. Oh, he, he took great backdrop, uh, great arm drags, uh, uh, suplexes. I mean, Dusty could work. He was he was always a good worker, and uh, you know he's just the perfect guy for what's about to happen in in the next Super Studcast when they turn him. He and Dusty has something that that nobody else has, in my opinion, or very few wrestlers that's ever come down the pike, is that immense ability to interview, to talk. He talk them in the building, man. And uh, I love to hear his interviews. Uh, it helped me to learn how to make interviews, too. Hey, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm about to start owning my own company. This is a perfect place for me to be in this time frame. I'm seeing some of the greatest interviewers. I'm seeing some of the greatest workers. We've just talked about them in this program right here. I mean, you, this, you could go through the list. There's, it's, it's pretty much endless. Wow. You go, I'm getting all this and I'm just, uh, I'm sucking it up like a sponge, man. I'm just trying to remember this guy and that guy and this move and that move and how I want to do it. If I ever get a chance to do it. Your schedule is obviously pretty packed during this period of time with all your commitments in Florida and you are a title holder, but you did have a few more dates in St. Louis, correct? Yeah, I'm still running the roads. I'm still flying out, and uh, but I'm but I'm narrowing it down. Watts is pulling me out of St. Louis, and he does it over a slow period of time. He doesn't just call up Sam and Sam Mutchick and say, you know, I I can't give you Ron anymore. So I go there twice. I go there twice in March and April, on March fifteenth, uh, and I go back on April nineteenth. I wrestle Big Bill Miller both times I go there. I lose the first one. Uh, but I come back and uh, and I win the second match. So I feel like I'm doing better. It's at least the second time I'm getting a win. Uh, and I'm still involved in St. Louis. That's going to dwindle. Uh, this thing is really starting to cook, man. Uh, Watts has got the pot full of great talent. And uh, it's going to come to a boil here. And when it does... I'm not going to want to go to St. Louis. I mean, I'm going to make so much money in Florida wrestling that, you know, St. Louis is great a wrestling city as it is and a great honor as it is to be on a St. Louis card. I want to be right there at home, man, because it's happening, man. It's really happening. As we wrap things up, Ron, we want to remind everyone you can become friends with the Tennessee Stud on Facebook by going to his page, Ron Fuller. The Tennessee Stud. All you have to do is like that page and automatically you're friends with a wrestling legend. What's better than that? Again, the page, Ron Fuller, The Tennessee Stud. You can follow The Tennessee Stud on Instagram and Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts, classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. We also want to remind you not to miss the next Super Studcast, Super Studcast number 13 on the devastating Knoxville Wrestling War of 1979. You will for the first time get to hear the complete story from Ron all about what happened. If you don't mind me saying, Ron, from the horse's mouth, straight from the horse's <laughs> mouth, you'll get like to hear that. this. All right, well, keep your I horse, like keep your horse uh, tied up there while I finish this here, Ron. But uh, we also want to remind you, of course, that uh, you can get the Super Studcast at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. And once again, thank you so much to all the patrons of this show. We really do appreciate you supporting this show and helping us continue with the fine, fine shows that you've been hearing, both in the regular Studcast and the Super Studcast. Thank you to everyone who's been supporting the show. Ron, tell us a little bit quickly about what's happening with your DVD series, Southeastern and Continental, The Lost Territory. Uh, geez, it's been amazing. I mean, fans, uh, old-time fans, I guess there are a lot of old-time fans out there. And uh, 
the, the demand is just far surpassed anything at all. And I, I probably take this opportunity to apologize to a few, few of you who've made orders that we haven't been able to catch up. Uh, we're just trying to, trying to get everything uh, out to people. And it's, it's really a, it's a, and then the comments there that I'm getting, uh, I was curious. So once they got these, how fans were going to like them, but it's just been overwhelming or what they have to say about them. And, you know, there's like, like it's taking people back and, and, and bringing back all these memories. And for young fans that never knew what some of this old time stuff is. And, and this isn't stuff that a lot of people have ever seen. They didn't get to see Southeastern. Uh, we kept a low profile, I guess is what you'd have to say. Continental either. We, we, we just, we weren't out there and, and recognized as a lot of other territories were, but by golly, we had some great talent there and we had some great matches and that's what the people are finding with these DVDs. There's five DVDs, uh, in this, this first, uh, this first, uh, set that's gone out is, uh, 12 hours, more than 12 hours of wrestling, 67 matches, uh, 1970s, early seventies, mid seventies, uh, bonus matches, uh, and, and interviews on all five of them present day interview, uh, with, from me on all five, kind of talking about my career, talking about hockey, talking about all kinds of things. Uh, really it's a, it's interesting. It's, it's, if you're a, if you're a historian of the sport, uh, these are for you. This is something you really probably need to see. And, uh, and I want to thank the fans out there who have bought them and, and made the great comments too. And again, you can get Southeastern Continental, the Lost Territory, the DVD set at tnstud.com. But before we wrap things up, Ron, the last several weeks we've been building and building and building. Where are we going next week? Well, as we've kind of already uh, led them to believe here, uh, we're going to we're going to the match. Uh, we're going to the actual match in which it all goes down from. Uh, and we're uh, next week. I hope to have a link for fans so that they can actually go and see this match. Uh, it's out there now. In fact, I saw it myself last week. It was wonderful, and gosh, I just, uh, it brought back memories for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be Dusty Rhodes going to be the hottest baby face maybe in the history of Florida wrestling. Undoubtedly, I guess you'd have to say. And, uh, I'm going to do something special, uh, I really, because this is a special show next week. It's going to encompass one of the great events that happened in wrestling. Uh, I'm going to bring the booker on the show live, the guy that put it together the guy that was responsible for it, the guy that's done all of these things right in 1974 to make Florida a championship territory, to rock its world, to sell them out night after night after night. I'm going to bring on the cowboy himself, Bill Watts, going to be on, and I'm going to let him tell people how he put it together. That sounds like a heck of a show. I can't wait to record that one, and I'm sure the listeners can't wait to hear it. But until then... Ron Fuller Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.